We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. That dude over there has got to get that that uh, camera down a little bit. He's a little hiding there at the bottom of the camera. That is Brian Smith. Y'all know Brian Smith. He has been around on this channel plenty of times in the past. And Brian is actually uh, going to uh, – he and I finally worked it out. We've been working on this, what, Brian, probably two years, just kind of <laughs> working out the details and where are you going to live and – Finally got settled in Florida. So Brian is going to be launching a new show on CFB Nation. He's going to be covering right. Southeastern recruiting. We're going to start having him on some some different shows here. We'll be going on with him. He'll be part of some of the CFB Nation channel shows that I'll be uh, having there as well. And then I saw him just kind of lurking in the chat, just listening. Because as you all know, Brian is at his heart a Notre Dame fan. And, uh, and so saw him. Then I was like, you know what? If you're just going to be hanging out during the show, why don't you come on with me? And we'll talk a little Notre Dame defensive line. So I got him with me today. Got my man, Ryan Roberts, kind of working backside production. He's going to be getting some mailbag stuff going on. So we are ready to rock and roll today, Brian, because I wanted to have you on because I I would argue there's probably no position you like to talk about more when it comes to Notre Dame, the defensive line with cornerback a close second. But we Those, are talk- facts. <laughs> Those are facts. <laughs> so, For all the wrong reasons. Those are true. <laughs> right. So we're going to talk about the Notre Dame defensive line today, Brian, as we continue our 2023 season preview. We will have a mailbag at the end. As I said, my guy Ryan Roberts is on the back end. He just put his babies down for nap, so he's able to chill on the back end getting questions. So bring those up during the mailbag. If y'all haven't seen, Ryan's got a ton of updates on the on the Irish Breakdown website the last couple of days. He's got uh, an update today on a really talented safety. Could maybe be a rover from, from California, Matai Tagoa. Uh, really talented. Actually, he's not from California. I'm sorry, he's from Nevada. Uh, had a great update yesterday on California linebacker Noah McHale, who is an absolute dude in the 25 class. And he also has an update this morning on a, on a, on a name y'all will know, and that is Nathaniel Owusu-Botang, who basically told uh, Ryan that right now four schools are standing above the others, and one of those four is Notre Dame. 
So as we've said to y'all before, the 2025 linebacker class is loaded. And Ryan has had a lot of updates on those uh, this past week. So make sure you're checking that out as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But Ryan today, Brian, today the defensive line is going to be the topic of conversation because as we look at Notre Dame, when we talk about what this team can be and the expectations for this team, there are certain things that we feel confident about as, as a you know, analyst covering this team. I, I feel very good about the offense, and I know that receivers got to do this and that and the other, but I'm, I'm very confident that unit is going to play well. I had an article out today uh, that was another part of my Marcus Freeman interview it's going to get it up tonight, ended up last night, ended up getting it up this morning, where Coach Freeman and I talked about the expanded pass game. And there's just a lot of, of optimism on my end that the offense is going to be pretty good because they're going to have a really good offensive line, they're going to have a really good quarterback, really good running back, and there's at least talent on the perimeter. I expect that the cornerbacks are going to be really good this year, pending good health. I think the safeties will at least be solid, pending good health, with some of the additions that they had and Xavier Watts. And basically, they were solid last year, and they got everybody coming back that played solid football last year. The question, however, Brian, and we can talk about improved linebacker play and cornerbacks and safeties and transfers and Sam Hartman and all these other things. At the end of the day, if Notre Dame wants to be a championship-caliber football team, if they want to be a team that can go to the playoff, that can win against Ohio State, USC, Clemson, run the table, get to the postseason, compete with Georgia, compete with Bama, compete with those teams, their defensive line is going to have to be really, really good. There's the potential for it. They flashed it at times last year, but at the end of the day, when you look at the season, this is a unit that has to play better than it did last year. It has to be more productive than it was last year, and it has to be more consistent than it was last year. And it has to do all that without the best player that they had from last season. So we're going to dive into all that today, Brian, but there's no question about it. For the good that the defensive line did last year at times, the reality is they weren't good enough 
in, in a lot of different ways we'll kind of get into statistically. But the big thing for me last year, Brian, was in 2018 to 2022, you compare those two lines. The 2022 defensive line actually produced more sacks and the same number of tackles for losses, the 2018 defensive line. But here's the difference. The 2018 defensive line was money. They stepped up in big games. They stepped up in clutch moments. They made game-winning plays. Last year's defensive line, there was a lot of stat-stuffing feel to what they did, and they weren't stepping up in the big moments. They didn't play very well against Ohio State. At least the best players didn't. They didn't play great against USC. They they didn't play great in some of the other games. They weren't able to make the big stops when they needed to against Marshall and Stanford. And so it's going to have to play better. They did not play championship caliber football last year. They're going to need to do that this season. It's a very, very important position. I will be surprised if they don't step up, at least in the bigger games. I know that you and I talked about that last year during the season. Clemson game, I think they did a pretty good job. That was probably the best one that they stepped up. But the consistency, especially against USC, I mean, Nobody tackled a certain quarterback very well last year across the country, but that game was probably the most frustrating for me. Like they had too many chances to make game-changing plays and missed. And those are just on players. Those are one-on-ones and stuff that they missed, not just chasing the quarterback, but against the running game too. So which guy or guys ends up dominating even for a quarter in a big game or something like that could be the difference between Notre Dame going to a decent bowl game like the Gator Bowl, which I went to last year, or going to the college football playoff. A handful of plays. So I hope that it's the latter. Because <laughs> while I like the Gator Bowl, I would much rather watch on my TV some championship level. <laughs> There's no doubt. There's no <laughs> there doubt. So when you look at this this uh, this unit needing to improve, Brian, I think there's a couple areas that I've identified as as where the production needs to be. And the and the and the first one is kind of big picture. It's just be more consistent, right? It's from a series to series, snap to snap, game to game standpoint. There just needs to be more consistency. I think when you look at last year's unit, Brian, it, it was like, it's kind of an interesting unit because there was like the veterans, there was the Adam Yolas, there was Isaiah Foskey, there was Howard Cross, and then there was a bunch of kids who'd never played before or at least played on this level. You had Chris Smith coming over from Harvard. You had Gabriel Rubio really in his first year in the rotation. You had a real, you know, you had Jordan Patelho who Trent, who moved over from Rover from the previous year. So you, you had this big gap in between the experienced guys and then the not experienced guys. Well, coming into this season, there's a lot more experienced guys, even though that they're not necessarily proven to the degree that Isaiah Foskey was last season. So just consistency is going to be a big thing and, and block things like block destruction and, you know, technique, things like that, just being more consistent with it. But the big thing for me, Ryan, is this unit has to be more disruptive in the run game. That's going to be a big key for me. And I've got a couple stats for you. Let's hear it. When you talk about the play of the defensive line and the production of the defensive line, here's how they stack up. Last year, Notre Dame's defensive lineman accounted for 46 and a half tackles for loss and 29 sacks. Notre Dame's 2018 defense, their defensive line had 46 and a half tackles for loss, same as the 22 unit, 26 sacks, so fewer sacks. If you look at Ohio State's defensive line last year, 48 and a half tackles for loss, 24 sacks. Notre Dame's defensive lineman had more production than Michigan's defensive line last year. But here's where, to me, they need to get to, because a lot of the teams that we just talked about, especially Ohio State, their defense was good, but they had a similar problem to Notre Dame. They didn't step up in the big games, the big moments. 
Then you look at Clemson's defensive line. And Clemson's defensive line last year, they had 26 sacks, which is three fewer than Notre Dame's, but they had 56 and a half tackles for loss. And when you look at it, to me, it's those it's those run game numbers. The sack numbers were, were, were good last year. Now we'll get into some questions about you know sack production this year because 11 of those 29 sacks were from one dude. But the reality is, is, is to me, Brian, you need a much greater gap between your sack production and your run game production. And, he, and here's so if you look at the 2018 defense defense, number one, that was a far less aggressive defense. Clark Lee was very much a do your job type of defense. So the fact that the production was equal to what the 22 defense was, which was much more of an attacking defense, is actually not a good thing. You look at Ohio State, for example, 40, 24 sacks, that's five fewer than Notre Dame's defensive line. But they had two more tackles for loss, which means there was a bigger gap in the run game production between the two. So Ohio State had 24 and a half more uh, run stops than they did sacks. Notre Dame only had 17 and a half. There was a 20 difference gap in the 2018 defensive line. Clemson had a 30 gap between the number of sacks and the number of tackles for loss. Run game stops. So you had 26 sacks and 30 run game stops. And so Notre Dame, again, 17 and a half. So that's the big thing for me, Brian, when I look at it is they have to be more – I actually think this team with Riley Mills stepping into the starting lineup and Jordan Patejo and Javante Jean-Baptiste, I'm actually pretty confident in the pass game, which we'll get to here in a little bit. The big question for me is can this unit – be more productive and disruptive in the run game. That's going to be a big key because, Brian, as, as much as football has changed, when you get to the postseason, it still comes down to who can run the ball and who can stop the run. And if you don't believe me, go look at Ohio State and Georgia last year. Second, fourth quarter, Ohio State couldn't run the football. They became one-dimensional. Once Marvin Harrison goes out, they couldn't do what they needed to do to win because they couldn't rely on their run game. You in the postseason, you still need to be able to run the ball and stop the run. Doesn't mean you got to run for 250 yards, but when you need to, you need to be able to run the football. And the team that can run the football and stop the run, TCU ran all over Michigan last year. Michigan had a harder time running the ball against TCU. That was a big part of that game. Now more pressure gets put on JJ McCarthy. He wasn't ready for it. Michigan gets beat in the postseason. That's really what it comes down to. And that's probably right now, Brian, my biggest big picture question is can this unit take a big jump in run game production i think your answer there will be dependent upon the following question can anybody on the interior consistently command a double team that's about as generic as it gets but right now if you're ohio state or clemson or something are you really scared of anybody notre dame has on the interior right now no and that's going to be a big question mark and, and and we'll get into some of some of the specific players here in a little bit, Brian. But here's here's the reality of what Notre Dame is going to have to figure out what they're going to do this year, and that comes down to basically, you don't have a Jordan Davis, you don't have a Jalen Carter, so you've got to properly use the big guys you have, guys like Gabriel Rubio and and Aiden Canaana in certain situations. But as you know, there's two ways to to occupy two blockers. One is to be Lewis Nix. The other is to be a quick penetrator in attacking. And that's something that when you watch out Golden's defense last year, there was way too much asking smaller players to kind of stalemate and try to hold at the point of attack. 
And then that allowed them to kind of, I mean, they, they actually held up pretty well at the point, but Brian and you, you and I both know when you're undersized and you're stalemating, you're, you're going to, you're going to get beat um, by the, by the better team in your schedule. Almost right. Definitely. You need to reset the line of scrimmage in your favor. That's what offensive line play and defensive line play is all about. Who can reset the line of scrimmage in their favor? The offense is trying to get vertical. The defense is trying to get vertical the other direction. And so will will Al Golden look at his defensive line and say, you know what? I don't have Lewis Nix. I don't have Justin Scott. I don't have Jalen Carter. But here's what I have. I have a really fast and athletic three technique. I mean, nose tackle and Howard Cross. I have a very athletic kid in Riley Mills who played on the edge for us last year. I have Jason Onye, who's a pretty quick penetrating athlete up the middle. Gabriel Rubio is a pretty quality athlete for size. I got some kids that can move. So does he turn them loose a little bit more, or does he continue to try to use the defensive line to set up plays for the linebackers? Because for all the heat that the linebackers took last year, the fact is, is that the defensive line could not occupy, to your point, Brian, the blockers and keep the blockers at the front level the way that they needed to to allow the linebackers to run free. So if you're going to have a, a defensive line or a defensive scheme that is is linebacker driven from a production standpoint, you have to have a defensive line that can keep the blockers occupied. And that's going to be the question. And, and to me, it's as much about Al Golden as it is about the talent. Because it comes down to, are you going to just run your scheme or are you going to design your scheme to better suit the the players? Now, here's something that's interesting, Ryan. Brian, a big part of what we saw in the spring from Notre Dame was a very aggressive, attacking, blitzing type of defense. That suits the defensive line, in my well, opinion. Well, they don't have a bunch of two-gappers. You know, I just did a, a highlight on another show about a kid that Florida took out of Georgia that just lost a bunch of weight and is down to 348. Notre Dame doesn't have that guy on the roster. You know what I mean? I, I can't imagine being that big, by the way. But at the same time, Notre Dame can still, I think Howard Cross is a great football player, but if he's not just shooting the gap, he's not holding the point against the 315 guy. It's just not going to happen very often. He's a great player, but what do you think Cross weighs? 270? Yeah. Give or take? They, they 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 list him at two seventy five because I think he shows up at fall camp at two seventy five. But you and I both know he's not two seventy five by the time the season's end. He's two sixty eight, two sixty six, something like that. By the time they get to the USC or Stanford game, yeah, it's it's part of the process. So if you're going to blitz and be aggressive, he does fit the scheme. Yeah. So that's okay. But as does Riley making, Mills. Yeah. As does Jason Onye. As does Gabriel Rubio. There's no question about it. So here's an interesting part about this too, Brian, when you look at it. This is a big year for Al Washington as a defensive line coach. Now, I'll just come out and say it. I'm giving him a mulligan on year one because the fact of the matter is there just were some veteran guys that would just not buy in. When I watched Coach Washington during the spring with his unit, watching them coach, I'm trying to remember the name of the GA, but very active guy very heavily involved in helping coach too. And I'm a believer, Brian, that every team, every team should have a really good O-line and D-line graduate assistant. Oh gosh. Because those are the two highest volume numbers on your roster. I mean, it'd be different if like you're, you had one DB coach, then you need a GA there as well, (laughs) but you need a D-line GA. That's good. Mike Elston had some very good D-line GAs. Uh, Harry Heastan had some very good O-line GAs. That's an imperative thing. That's an important thing to have. 
and and I've heard good things about this new guy, but I'm watching them and and the kids were far. You can watch it, Brian. You've been to enough camps. You've been to enough practices. You can see when kids are really locked into what a coach is saying because it's are the kids who aren't taking the rep paying attention. And when you watched in the spring and Coach Washington's looking at Coward Cross coaching him up or Riley Mills or Javante Jean-Baptiste, everybody was stopped and their eyes were on the coach that was talking to them. And that to me is that means something to me. That tells me, okay, this group is buying in and they're locked in and they're taking what he's saying. And I think that's something that was very important for Coach Freeman. Uh, Behind the scenes, there were some things that he did to show the unit, this is the dude, you better listen to him last season. We'll just leave it at that. So I think we're we're not going to be able to use that as an excuse in 2023, Brian. I think there will be some buy-in. So now it's up to Coach Washington to say, hey, look, man, you were given a group with some pretty talented young players, some veterans that have potential. It's now your job to turn this potential into production. And that's going to be a big key because I know he's catching a lot of heat on recruiting. Some of it justified, some of it, okay, it's still looking on last year. There's some things he's done well this year, the end recruiting. Got to get Justin Scott. We'll talk about all the recruiting stuff. But he's going to play a huge role, huge role, in determining just how good this defense is going to be this year by his ability to not only get the veterans to buy in and play to their potential, but to get the Josh Burnhams, the Junior Tuyalamacas, the Tyson Fords, the Jason Onyes, the Gabriel Rubios, the Donovan Heinishes, to get those guys to start getting closer to their potential as well. If he can do that, then this defensive line has a chance to be really, really good because they can just throw waves at you. And that's going to be a big part of it, of, of that's going to determine the success of the defensive line this year. To that point, and I told you this before the show, I was going to ask you kind of an off-kilter question. Take the two starters out of the mix at inside nose guard and D-tackle. Which player in the backup ranks, pick any of them, or players if you want, will be the most disruptive off the bench along the interior and why that's a so interior guys i think if i had to look at where the defense is right now what we saw in the spring it'd be jason onye and and that's a guy brian you and i talked a lot about when he yes, was in high school we did. yes we did and you look at this kid and, and you're like boy this guy's got length he's got athleticism he's a former basketball player he's a guy that had a really good spring i think him and rubio but here's the thing it, it I saw I saw Rubio take a step towards being the guy that we thought he could be. You know, he was a top hundred guy. I know you were with uh, working with John Garcia on the SI ninety nine back then. And he was a guy that ranked in the top hundred on that. He was top hundred guy by several people. I think he's a guy also, Brian, that showed that potential this year. And and that's the key for me is you can't just have one guy off the bench that can be productive. You don't want guys coming in and just being okay. You're there. Right. You're just you're just you're there. You're eating up space. You're taking reps. Right. And you, you're giving Riley Mills a breather. You're giving Howard Cross a breather. No, the best defensive lines, when the backup comes in, he's saying, OK, now you've got to deal with me. And I think that's something that, that Notre Dame needs. And they haven't always had that in recent seasons. They've had decent starters, but the backups were just guys that took up took up eight up snaps. When you look at those two guys, when you look at Donovan Heinish, I mean, Donovan's basically a more athletic version of Kurt. And that's basically what he is. And and when you look at Tyson Ford, if the, that's going to be a big one for Bryant for for Al Washington is Tyson Ford. Obviously, Jason Onye, Gabriel Rubio, those guys are going into years three and four. That's an important one. Tyson Ford is an incredibly gifted player, but I think he's he's very immature from a, from a, he's young. He's still a teenager. His game is very immature. 
he just got by on really talent, a lot of talent. I think that he's a guy that Al Gold, Al Washington needs to say, hey, look, you're my pet project. Because this is a tendency some coaches have. I got some talented players coming in. I got this young guy. He maybe wasn't what I wanted to be as a freshman. So I'm just going to move on and go to my, my younger group. Or you say, man, this kid's got some talent. When he flashes, it's really good. And so you make him your pet project. And and he would be the guy that the, that I would – if I'm Marcus Freeman, I would sit down with their Notre Dame's defensive GA. And I'm going to try to find his name here real quick because I don't want um, – uh, I don't want to just keep saying the defensive GA this year. But I'm, I'm going to try to find his uh, his name here real quick. But when you look at – when you look at, at, at the staff – and uh, you you look at it's not that's not who I'm talking about, Ryan. It's, there's another guy, um, and, I, and I'll try to find out who that is. But when you're looking at at um, the the defensive line, and you look at the the, the GAs, right? You say, hey, listen, you want to get a great recommendation leaving here? You want me to tell other Division One schools that you're ready to take on your own job? Here's your task. Here's your one goal. See that kid right there, number 95, Tyson Ford? Help me turn him into a player. He's your pet project. And you give him a couple guys like that. Like, that's your guy. You get that kid ready to play, and and and, and you're going to be able to write your own ticket. And I think those are things that, that, that are going to determine how good this team can be this year. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, we can talk about – we can talk about all types of different things about this team and this has got to do well and that's got to play well and this has got to do that and this all the, all these other things right Brian but at the end of the day it's can you can you take turn your talent into potential and there's a lot of talent on this football team the question is is can you are we going to keep talking about the talent and the potential or are we going to finally start to see some production and when you get down to the younger players that's going to be a big part of of what we need to see is we need to see this team show that they're capable of turning that and so that's a big question about Al Golden or Al Washington right now is can you at the very least I think he's going to be good at what Mike Elson was good at Mike Elson was really good at teaching the basics yes he was you know and and those guys were really steady and they were really solid if he can at least do that then they're going to be fine and then the question is can you take it to that next level to where you maybe teach him a counter move and and those type of things. And those are those are going to be the different aspects of what I want to see from this defensive line and this this coaching staff. I'm really curious about your point about counter moves and all that. I remember talking to Tyson Ford at the end of his junior year. I was on the phone with him like, how much do you weigh right now? And he said, 220. He's 290 now, give or take. Right. I don't know what, you know, that's a lot of weight. But I watched the spring game too, and I'm like, Look, you can list him as a quote-unquote third-team player. That is not a third-team player. Like the way he's moving in the athleticism and the size, that's a kid that can play at Georgia. Six-five kids are 290 and can make lateral movements. And by the way, kids like that are what they brought in against TCU in the title game and wiped the floor with TCU because they got tired and Georgia was rotating guys in that had played 50% of the snaps that TCU had at the point of the year and TCU is just done. Right. That's the difference between winning championships and kind of coming close. It's just depth that are, you know, guys that are in the wings. But they were also coached up. I mean, Georgia, I, you and I talk about this all the time. They don't just recruit well, they develop their kids freshmen. Yes. And when they come in, it's not this, oh, let's just see how this kid plays. He's he's already coached up by the That was the overlooked thing about Alabama's title run under Saban from 09 to like 16. 
15, yeah, right? Because they were so they well coached. And yeah. that's a very underrated part of what has worked at Georgia. Yes, they're talented. I get all that. They're talented. But they develop those players. And it's Ashen Derrico is the name of the defensive line coach that I'm talking about because he primarily seems to work with the defensive tackles is what when we see him at practice. So that's why I talk about him with, with Tyson Ford and those kind of players. So that's going to be a big part, Brian, is, is development. Can the development get there? Because there's no look, do they do they have Georgia's talent level? I don't think so. Do they have SEC talent at several spots on this defensive line? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Absolutely they do. It's can you turn it into production on Saturdays? That's going to be a big key. I so hope they can do that in consistency, though. Like you were yes. saying in big games, we didn't see it enough last year. So right. I just wanted to reiterate that. So let's look at the veterans, Brian. I think obviously we look at some of these veteran players and what we expect them to be this year. And the reality is, is, is Howard Cross needs to be able to do what he does, but stay healthy for, I mean, stay, stay, um, how do I say it? Not stay healthy, but he would wear down as the season went on because he's undersized. So part of that's on the coaches to not give him as much work as you gave him last year and maybe find pick and choose. Like for me, Howard Cross is playing. 15 snaps against Tennessee state 20 against central Michigan, because I want him to play 50 against Ohio state. Right. That, that, that's my yeah. thing. You know, that's important, man. It really right. is. Right. So Howard cross needs to just keep doing what you're doing. There's other guys, however, that to me need to step up and, and be better and, and, and be more consistently effective. And, and the first one for me is, is, is Riley Mills. Now, what's funny is, is a lot of people talk about Riley Mills hasn't done a whole lot. He was fourth on the defense last year in tackles for loss. And and he, as I've said before, he's got more sacks going into his senior year than Sheldon Day or Jerry Tillery had going into their senior years. Like, Riley's done some things. What he hasn't done is live up to the potential. He was also third on the defense last year in sacks. He hasn't lived up to the potential of being that guy consistently, Brian. And that's going to be the big thing for Riley Mills. You and I talked a lot, little bit about this before because Riley wanted to be an end, right? You were, you and I were talking about this. You had a chance to talk with him last offseason at the gym. The, the, the key is he has bought in to being an inside guy. That's huge because yes, it is. if you're going to run the defense that I think they want to run, Riley's a three technique. If you're going to run, like, for example, if Clark Lee was still the defensive coordinator, I'm still having Riley as my big end. I, I am. And Javante Jean-Baptiste is a viper. That that based on how Clark Lee ran his defense, the way that they ran their defense this year, this past year, and the way that they ran it in the spring, especially you want to, you want to go with the, the old Lou Holtz philosophy, take linebackers, turn them into ends, take ends, turn them into tackles, take three techniques and turn them into nose tackles. That's basically what their name is doing. And so you put Riley at three technique and during the spring, we saw more consistency of him making plays He's an important piece to this, Ryan, Brian, because he's 6'5". He's, he's about 300 pounds now. He's athletic. He's got long arms. You've seen him. He's a massive kid. I mean, he is a big, strong country boy. He's the kind of kid, Brian, that 25 years ago was a stud three technique for Nebraska in the mid-'90s. Oh, that's a tremendous comparison. They always had some big white guy in the middle that was really athletic. That nobody else recruited outside of a couple of schools and knew about and looked like he lived in the weight room, which Riley <laughs> yeah, he was does. from yeah. a two A high school in Kansas or something, and they found a way to get him to be good, or he was a part of their walk on program or something. Yeah, they did a great job with that. 
So Riley's now got to step up and be a more productive guy, Brian. He's got to be, and he's got to do it in big games. And that's, that's something we haven't seen. I, I thought one of the most disappointing aspects of the Ohio State game last year is outside of Howard, Howard Cross, who I actually thought was pretty good in that game. I thought the rest of the defensive line was incredibly disappointing, especially the veterans. I thought I thought Riley Mills played pretty well in that game, and I thought Howard Chris Howard Cross played pretty well in that game, and Chris Smith I thought played pretty well in that game. I thought the other big names Isaiah Foskey was bad in that game. Jason Adamula got his butt kicked in that game. Justin Adamula got his butt kicked in that game. I thought the veterans did not play well, so. I want to. We need to see a different sit scenario this year with those guys, and so I think Riley Mills has got a chance to be that guy. If Riley Mills, Brian, plays this potential this year, that alone, right there, is going to make the interior of this defensive line very, very good. Because if Rubio and Onye are just solid backups, and Howard Cross is just who he was last year, Gabe Riley Mills playing his potential makes us an outstanding interior defensive line. I think he could be a seven or eight sack guy. I think he could yeah. be. He could be. I mean, especially with the first few games being who they are and how many, depending on how many snaps he get, he could be at like four sacks after two or three games too. So that, that's something else to think about. I don't think too many guys, no offense to Tennessee State, but they, they're not going to have anybody going to handle Riley if he's motivated. So does he have a chance in a one gap, get up the field scheme? A hundred percent. Now, not only do I want him to be able to do that, but when he does get double teams, guess what? That means Howard Cross has one guy on him. Maybe even the guy snapping the ball, and good luck to him. So or the linebackers are running three yeah, yeah, through I mean, untouched. Right. I mean, J.D. Bertrand, I know he takes a beating on various Notre Dame message boards. He's a good football player. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, let's just get it out of the way. <laughs> but he is a very good blitzer, too. He times yeah. things up. He knows how to work with guys. He'll shoot a gap, take some chances, but he's fast enough unbeknownst to some Notre Dame fans, that he can get there and make a play in the backfield. So these things play off of each other, and that's what Cincinnati did. I mean, they they didn't have Jalen Carter on Cincinnati's mm-hmm. defensive line. Like, you know, that I'm familiar with Apopka's high school. But we all knew when he was coming out of high school, like, he is not going to sit the bench at Georgia very long. Like, he was their yeah. most physically gifted guy pretty much from the middle of his freshman year on. They don't have that guy, but they got enough moving parts up front and enough depth now, hypothetically, where the linebackers should have more free flow into the backfield. If we don't see more plays in the backfield, by the end of game two, we're going to have a very nasty Brian Smith on this show. I will not be happy. By then, we should be able to say, hey, this looks totally different. And Mills is the key to that. Riley Mills is the key to that. He's got to draw double teams just like Cross does. He's the one NFL caliber talent that can 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 do that Brian, with, with his size and his athleticism that's the difference yeah. like like howard cross can do it with quickness riley mills when he's playing his game can anchor relatively well right he's not going to look like you know lewis, lewis nix reincarnated but he can hold his he can hold his water and and now that you're a year you're older you're stronger you know last year's by far the most playing time he got he can be that kind of guy but then he also needs to be able to use his athleticism. Like what I don't want to see is them just try to turn him into a two gapper. Like I don't want to see that. You need to use his athleticism. So Riley Mills has got to step up and they got to use him correctly. Then the other equation of this is the guy that's going to be next to him in the starting lineup to the outside. And that's Jordan Patelho. Jordan Patelho is a very interesting player, Brian, because he fans love him for two reasons. Number one, 
He's a highly ranked kid coming to high school. Well, really three reasons. Number two, he's a little off. And I think fans kind of like having a couple defenders that are a little like that, just a little like there, there's something like this kid's a little different. You know what I mean? Like he's a little, he's You're a little being wild kind about him too. Yeah. Like if, if I'm at a bar, if I'm out at a club and some stuff goes down, I'd rather have Jordan Patelho on my side. You get what I'm saying? One thousand. Um, so he's got a little bit of that to him, but then also he's shown these flashes of being a really impactful player. And, and so the question with him is even he, he is the biggest enigma of anybody on the defensive line to me, because there's this assumption with him that he's going to come out and just be really good this year for Notre Dame. And because of how he finished the season last year, you know, had that great performance against obviously South Carolina was good against the run was very disruptive against the pass. He did some really good things last year. Brandy had eight, according to pro football focus, he had 18 pressures on 77 pass rush snaps. That's absurd. Like that. Yeah, that's like 22% or something. Yeah. I mean, that that's getting you into like Will Anderson numbers from 2021. That's what, that's what that is. I mean, that's a, that's an absurd number of pressures. But can he do that when his snap count goes? Right. And he had seven, he had seven total hits on the quarterback in 77 snaps. Again, that's an absurd number. But as you were saying, Brian, can he do it regularly? Can he do it consistently? And can he do it when it matters? Because People, I've said this, Brian, and I've never said this to you, so I'm curious as your thoughts. Isaiah Foskey was more productive from a sheer number standpoint in 2022. 14 tackles for loss, 11 sacks is better than what he did in 2000 and and, uh, the the year before. And the year before, uh, he had 12 and a half tackles for loss and 11 sacks. So he's more productive, but he was a far better player in 2021 because he made clutch plays. You think of the strip sack against Cincinnati that Drew White picks up the ball, gets Cincinnati is about to blow Notre Dame out. It's 17 to nothing. They're driving. Foskey makes a strip sack. Drew White picks it up, runs it back a long way. They scored 17-7 ball game. You think of the strip sack against Oklahoma State that gave the offense the ball with a chance to kind of go down there and make it a game. You think of, you know, early USC's driving. He has a huge, two huge pressures to force a field goal attempt. He was clutch. He was money. They didn't have that last year. That's my biggest concern with Jordan Patojo is when you go watch him play last year, it's just there were times you're like, what is he doing? And then there's times like, wow, that guy's got a chance to be really good. What are we going to see more of this year? Are we going to see more of that consistent guy? Because if we do, there is no doubt in my mind he can be an eight-plus sack-per-game guy for Notre Dame this year, a 10-plus tackle-for-loss guy for Notre Dame this year. Because I actually think he's got a lot of disruptive ability in the run game because there's some things you can do with him you couldn't do with Foskey. Foskey was basically a big end playing Viper. He was 6'5", long arms, 265. He's long arming you. He's basically setting the edge. Batelho's a guy that you can actually shoot inside and shoot, penetrate inside. You can play more line games as a defensive coordinator with him, where you can slant Riley Mills outside, bring Jordan Patel on loops, things that you're not going to really do with Isaiah Foskey. So he actually gives you some things. You can drop him off into covers a little bit more. You can stack him in a 3 3, and you can have you know, Mills on the outside, or you can even put Riley in the nose in certain situations and have Cross and, and, and the other guys on the outside. There's just different things you can do, but you can move him around. You can do things with him, but you can only do that if you can count on him. 
because you're well, not going to build a game plan around a guy that you can't count on. And that's the big thing. If they can count on Jordan Patejo this year, Brian, he's got a chance to be really good. And then, and this is what I want you to comment on all of this, and we'll wrap it up, and I want to just let you go. If, if Again, these are a lot of ifs, but if Riley Mills can be a consistent player, of what we've seen, if Jordan Patejo can be consistently the, the player that we've seen, now all of a sudden you're talking about this defensive line have a chance to be really, really good. If what you just said right there comes to fruition, there's no reason that the, the numbers four and zero shouldn't be put together. And that relates to sacks. They were pretty close to it last year. But I don't need three guys to have ten. I'd rather have eight guys have five. Right. You know what I mean? Just And then like one guy's that. got eight, one guy's got like seven and yeah. a half, nine. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I, I'm curious. You mentioned the stack. and. The, these defenses change every year because offenses in the spread have so much of an advantage coming out in 22 personnel play power. They go no huddle. Then they come out in the next play and they're in full on spread. And you got three linebackers in the game yeah. and you get murdered. That's why the stack was invented. Like we got to find a way to get more speedy guys on the field. So All here's right. the question. You talked about Botello moving back and playing some linebacker flat out. I'm, I'm not convinced he's going to take the playbook serious enough based on his mentality, to do all the little things with the checks and the gaps. That's my concern. Right. Hell on wheels when he just dips the shoulder. I mean, he's a freak athlete. And you could tell the kid likes the weight room. All those are good. Yes. Can he cover somebody and do it properly on third and six? That's right. got to be a checkbox. Right. That's it's just that, that I need to trust you snap after snap after snap. 100%. And if he can be that guy, he can be disruptive. And, and Brian, here's a, a point of what you're talking about. Last year, Notre Dame, uh, last season, looking at the the statistics last season, uh, pulling those back up, Notre Dame ranked 13th in the country last year in sacks, which is pretty good. At yeah, I mean, they, were, they were good at it. Yeah. Right. But here's the thing. You had Isaiah Foskey had 11 of those. The next highest guy was Patel with four and a half. Let's look at a couple other teams. Louisville last year had 50 sacks. <laughs> Not a single guy on their roster had more than nine and a half. Nobody had double digits. You had four guys that were higher than Notre Dame's number two. Nine and a half, nine, six and six, four and a half, three, three, two and a half. So 50 sacks, nobody double figures. Pitt last year had 48 sacks. That's 10 more than Notre Dame. Nobody had more than seven. Clemson last year had 44 sacks. Now, now they were played one more game than Notre Dame, right? So Notre Dame actually averaged slightly under Pitt, under Clemson in sacks per game. Clemson was a 3.1. Notre Dame was a 2.9. But when you look at Clemson last year, nobody had more than six and a half. And so that's what you're referring to. Now, it's nice to have – now, if, if you're going to have a guy that has 12 and 13, that's cool, but then you're 50-plus sacks is basically where you need to be. And, and that's your point is, is you need to be in the – 40s but it needs to be a more disruptive and here's why that matters in my opinion and i want to know if this is something if this is where you're coming from too brian if i have one great sack guy then you as a defense or an offense if you're really good georgia can do this bama can do this ohio state can do this you can say hey our scheme we can take him out of the game we can neutralize him you remember when michigan did this to chase young in 2019 yeah, like four sacks against Penn State, like or three sacks against Penn State, four sacks against Wisconsin, zero tackles for loss against Michigan. Because Michigan basically said, we're not going to let you beat us. 
And and you can stop. You can do that. Teams did that to Notre Dame last year. They basically said, as long as we block Isaiah Foskey on third down, they're not going to get to us. And if they do, they're going to be undisciplined in their pass rush. And like last year, I can't tell you how many times Jason Adamiola, as a three technique, ran past the quarterback and just let the quarterback step into the pocket and go make plays. Right. So so if you can stop him when you're a team that has like like again, like I talked to Louisville or, or excuse me, Pitt last year, you know, Pitt had 48 sacks. Brian, there's only six guys that had more than three. But the point is they had a bunch of guys that could get after the quarterback based on their scheme. You look at Louisville last year, four guys with six or more, nobody in double figures, five guys with four and a half or more, nobody in double figures. Say, so, hey, if you're going to spend all your time stopping Jordan Patelho, sliding your protection of Jordan Patelho, then you're vulnerable to this, 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 and this. And if Notre Dame can be really good on that side and say, now Riley Mills and because the way what I mean by that is the way that Notre Dame does their alignment primarily, the three technique and the Viper are on the same side of the field. So they play like a lot of under fronts. Under front basically means your nose is to the yeah. field, your three techniques is the boundary, your vipers the boundary. Then of course you have your field end to the field, but the most self-explanatory position in football. And and so you have those two guys to the same side. If they're both really disruptive, what that forces teams to do, Brian is to put their protection, to slide their protection, to emphasize their protection to the boundary. If Which you can awkward. be this, it's very yeah. difficult. Whereas if it's just Batelho, you can just chip them. You can put a tight end or a back and just Absolutely. chip them. If it's Batelho and Mills, or if it's just Mills, you can center guard them and you know do some different things that way. But if it's Mills and Patelho, you now have to set your entire protection philosophy to the boundary. Now, all of a sudden, you've got Jordan, Javante, Jean-Baptiste, and my pressure packages all coming from the field. Now, that's how I can overload you with numbers without having to overload you. Excuse me. That's how I can overload you with numbers to a side without having to overload you on numbers as far as number of total blitzers. And that's where you can be disruptive. And that's why it's imperative that these two kids, above all others, really step up. To me, we're going to talk about Rubio and Onye and Javante Jean-Baptiste and Junior Tuilamaka and Josh Burnham and Tyson Bourne, all these guys. But to me, Jordan Patojo and Riley Mills both stepping up. They're both seniors now. Those two guys stepping up is the difference between Notre Dame being good on defensive on the defensive line this year or championship caliber on the defensive line this year. And it has to be, to me, both of them. I would say Mills one and Batelho two in importance because I think that with Josh Burnham and Junior Chalamach and some other guys, you could even put Javante Jean-Baptiste over there if, if you're struggling over there. I mean, there's things you could do where you could put Nana and some other guys at the field in. But to me, nobody has the potential up the middle for this season to do what Riley Mills can do. Maybe down the road, Tyson Ford can be that guy. Maybe down the road, Gabriel Rubio can be that guy, or Jason Onye can be that guy. But for 2023, they need Riley Mills to step up. They need Jordan Patojo to step up. They do that, and this we're going to have some fun covering this football team this year, Brian. I also think statistically, and I'm fascinated with Baptiste. He was pretty highly recruited. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. If I remember right, he's a DMV guy or something from that area, isn't he? Maryland. Uh, Maryland. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. No, uh, no, he was a Bergen Catholic kid from Jersey. Oh, Jersey kid. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's East Coaster. If you're single covering him every play, and he kind of knows that he's assuming he's not. When you get chipped as a DN, you're in trouble. But assuming he's just going one on one every play, and he's not going against a left tackle, 
he could have six or seven sacks this year. Would not surprise. Part of that could just be effort plays. You know how the commentator will say, well, that was a covered sack. Well, that's okay because Notre Dame's secondary has a chance to be really good. Number 20 in particular is probably going to be lonely a lot this year because I don't think like the Clemson game, I don't know what they were thinking. I was watching that again last Well, you know what they were thinking? I don't want to throw to number five. Well, yeah, five's good too, and they just picked the freshman, but it did not work out well. I'll I'll, I'll throw a five. The funny thing is they threw it five early and he blew them up. I mean, they kept trying to throw screens and, and he was yeah. blowing them up. And so they're like, ah, let's try this number 20 kid. But to your point, Brian, that's the potential. Absolutely. And you, you made this point on our show, I think like two years ago, you looked at all the teams that had like one playoff games and you had something like every team that's like one playoff games had like a first or second round draft pick a corner, something like that. Right. The I mean, that was the point that you had made. Playoff, right. Every team the next spring, even. All four of them, Washington, Ohio State, Clemson, Bam, all four of them had a first or second round pick right. at corner. Certain spots. And it continued different. throughout oh, the yeah. next several years. I mean, you know, it, yeah. as far as the teams that are out there winning, you know, Clemson had two guys like that in 2018. Yeah. Notre Dame is finally to that point. So Bingo. the D line should absolutely unequivocally be. Thank God. I've waited my entire life for this moment. Thank you. <laughs> it's been a minute it's been since the early 90s since we've been able to, to oh, look at this football team and be this way and i think that's an important piece brian because what they do schematically and and again this is not a knock on clark lee what clark lee did worked and 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 i think very highly of clark lee it's just it was different you had zone corners you know you had guys in, in 2018 and, and troy pry could play man but Z- julian love was a zone guy he was an off ball zone guy off you know off the ball lineup keep everything in front of you kind of guy that's going to factor into your some of your disruptives numbers that's why you know because you're a you're a read and react you know play your gap play your assignment type of guy and then we'll turn you loose on third down this defense is going to be much more aggressive from snap one to to the end of the game i mean it's hey we're trying to make disruptors on play one and i think that's something that al golden's trying to do this year is he's trying to get more early down disruptives and and here's the thing if you have to blitz to get early down disruptives, you're going to struggle against the better teams in your schedule. You're going to overwhelm the inferior teams on your schedule. But if you're having to blitz on first down against Ohio State and USC in order to create disruptives, they're going to get you. That doesn't mean you can't blitz on first down. You just mean it's it's like we always say, blitz. And, and Ryan talked about this uh, uh, last week in, a, in our mailbag as well. You want to blitz because you want to. I've said this as well. You want to blitz because you want to, not because you have to. And that's where the defensive line comes into play. Javante Jean-Baptiste, to me, is going to be a big part of this because I have full confidence that he's going to be a disruptive pass rusher. Full confidence. What, and that's what he was used as Ohio State. Where my question for him is, I need to see him be better. He, not better. I need to see what he can do against the run. Because they're going to use that yeah. position differently this year, Ryan. I don't think it's going to be that set the edge, physical, you know, wrong arm the guy, stay there, for, funnel everything back inside. There's going to be something to that, especially with Nana's in the game. But I think there, there's going to be a level of disruption this year, too, where you're going to see more slant the big end inside and bring that mic on the outside or bring a rover off the edge and some different things like that uh, for your run stunt game. And so I think we're going to see a more dis, dis, uh, aggressive first down defense this year not so much from a blitzing standpoint because i don't view a four defensive lineman and a backer a blitz that's a stunt a blitz to me is more than five 
or you overload a side. That's a blitz to me. With five, you overload a side. I don't think five is a blitz for me. I don't count it as a blitz. I count it as a run stunt. And so I think they're going to do a lot more of that stuff. And I think you have an end, or I believe you have an end this year, in Javante Jean-Baptiste, who brings the length and athleticism. Because as, as Riley Mills is very athletic for a 290-plus pound kid, Javante Jean-Baptiste is just athletic. I mean, he's it's not for his size. He's just quick. Now, he was a good niche player at Ohio State, good rotation player at Ohio State. Can he be a every-down guy at Notre Dame? Can he be a guy that can come out and be disruptive on a consistent basis? That's a question mark. But I think the athleticism is there, and that's the biggest thing I look at when I look at this defensive line, Ryan, Brian. You put you took you put Mills in a three technique, cross at the go at, at nose, you put Batelho at the boundary, and now or Viper, and now you've got Javante Jean Baptiste as your field end. I don't know if this line's gonna be very good. I don't know if it's gonna be better than past years, but you know one thing I can guarantee you it's going to be one of the most athletic def- oh, starting defensive cool. lines in college football next year. There's I no doubt about that. It's going to be as athletic as what Clemson puts on the field on a yearly basis. That's probably the best for a four-man line, kind of how I would define it. And Notre Dame usually has pretty athletic D-lines, but there's one guy that's more of a plugger, kind of like a certain nose guard who is no longer there, but his brother is. He wasn't a pass rusher. No, Man, he was going to play his butt off. And he would plug the run. Third and one, he was not fun to run at, that kind of guy. He would be that guy that would get that first and 10 TFL yes, in 2018 and 2019, yes. But at the same time, if you're going to win a national title, you need a nose guard that can take over a game, at least for short stints. Mm-hmm. He wasn't that guy. I didn't think, especially third and six. The teams that go to the title game, I'll take TCU out there, the complete anomaly for the playoffs so far. They're the only team that didn't have a defensive guy that's made it to the title game that you're like, man, that guy's unbelievable. Blah, blah, blah. I don't well, think they had a guy and, like that. Really. And Brian, TCU gave up 45 and, and 65 points in the yeah. two playoff games, right? They, I mean, so they they're not winning because of their defense. Year. Yeah. But that's but that's Sunny your point, though, Brian. Offense. Right. They they went to the playoff and and gave up 45 and 65 points because they didn't have that. Yeah, that's going to be the question. If you meshed, and I'm not trying to pick on them, Georgia's D line and their D line, how many guys from TCU would have even made the third team? One, two, one, like two was they they had one. I think it was their they had one end who was a good player. He'd have been in their rotation, sure. Yeah, but I mean, Georgia literally they had third team guys that were freshmen that could have picked other schools and started. Right. You know, that's just the difference. At the end of the year, that's when recruiting really shows up. Because teams are uh, – this was especially true when Notre Dame was bad towards Charlie's end. Notre Dame didn't have the depth. At the end of the year, how bad they were on defense. They couldn't yeah. stop me. So that's, that's the, the word right there, Brian. That's the word right there, depth. That's yeah. the next part of this conversation. You're, you're, you're only as good as your depth, in my opinion, on the defensive 100%. line. Now, you're going to have depth. Everyone has depth. It's called a body. The question is what's the quality of the depth? And, and that's where I kind of get a little excited about what this team could be because there's guys on, coming off the bench that have the potential. And this is where this is now where Al Washington is going to really make his money. It's this area right here. When you have guys like Gabriel Rubio, Jason Onye, Junior Tuyalamaka, Josh Burnham, Tyson Ford, Aiden Gobira, there's a lot of really talented athletes in that group. 
how many of those guys can you get ready to play this year? For example, if Josh Burnham was at Georgia, the way that they've developed defensive line, there's no question he has a sophomore breakout. None. You get that first year moving from linebacker to learn and develop, and then the next year he goes back out and boom, he's a factor, whether it's a starter or a rotation guy. Sure. So can is Al Washington going to – going to do the same thing because my one of my questions with Al Washington was based on last year was does he coach the entire depth chart and I've heard enough things that make that a concern for me in year one now does he improve on that in year two we're gonna find out you know where you can't just let Josh Burnham and J- Tyson Ford be ignored for an entire season you got to coach those guys up Mike Elson was great at that Mike Mickens is great at that like that's what the best coaches do and and Chancey Stuckey was really good at that last year too, but it, 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 that's a little bit different because only had like six scholarship receivers. By the end, it's a little easier in that. In, in we're going to be joking about that for the rest of our lives. But there's so much talent, and we're not even getting into the freshman class. There's so much talent there that you need at least three of those guys to really be productive rotation players. You can get it, you can get afford to have one guy coming off the bench and just you know what, give me 10, 12 snaps and be a solid guy. One of the underrated parts of last year's defensive line to me, Brian, was there were times when the second team defensive lot interior defensive line would come on the field and actually outplay the starters. You know, with Chris Smith, with Howard Cross, yeah. yeah. Uh Jacob Lacey came off the bench against Cal before he transferred. And and so if you can continue that this year, now part of that was because the, the starters didn't play well. That was part of it, right? But when you've got Rubio, I'm, I really think he's going to make a nice jump in year three. I expect that. Jason Onye, if he can build on his big spring, those are going to be important parts because if, if I'm bringing in, and this is something that's a lot different last year. Obviously, Howard Cross is a smaller kid. But last year, Notre Dame didn't have great size, period. Now you look at their team, and you're talking about bringing in 290-plus pound Howard or uh, Jason Onye off the bench. You're bringing in 300-pound Gabriel Rubio off the bench. And now all of a sudden, I'm dealing with a little bit of a different body type than I, than I was before. So that's something that you look at, too, and say, hey, there, there aren't a lot of four, attacking 4-2-5 four, four, teams that can bring a, an athletic 302-pound kid like Rubio off the bench and an athletic 290, what was it, 292, 295-pound kid like Jason Onye off the bench. So those guys need to step up and play well too. But to me, the big key is after them, you've got two sophomores at Viper and Junior Chalamaka and Josh Burnham that have a lot of talent. Junior run player first, pass rusher second. Josh Burnham right now to me has as much pass rushing potential as anybody on the roster. If Al Washington doesn't make him a pet project this offseason and in fall camp, then he's just not doing his coaching thing right. He's just not. Because that kid could be really key. You just bring him in off the bench and let him play 15, 20 snaps a game, and you get, hey, Josh, you got one job. See that guy receiving the snap? Get him. That's your job. That's your job. That's it. Well, my excitement for the D-line, and maybe it's just because I know him and I'm biased, but Tyson Ford athletically in size and the long levers, most years – even though he wasn't ready last year, would have played at Notre Dame over the last 25 years. I mean, he barely, I don't know what, how many games he played in. I'm sure it was a few, but now they can actually develop him in a normal way where he's not overwhelmed and getting his butt beat by some fifth year senior from, you know, a power five school that knows what he's doing at offensive tackle. 
and he's only going to have to play so many snaps. That does a couple of things. Number one, it gives him confidence. Hey, I'm getting better. I'm getting some snaps. But B, I know I'm not going to get 35, 40 reps. So on these 15 or 20 or whatever he gets, he can go full go with his athleticism. I, I heard us, I was listening to a Georgia podcast recently, and one of their guys that started only had like 320 reps or something like that last year. Mm-hmm. And they went to the title game. Yeah, I've talked about that, Brian. I've, I've yeah, actually pulled that set up. They they did not well, have, have a lot been, of defense. It might have been you that talked about it too that I saw. But Notre Dame, what's to speak? Ninety nine. I'll say, I'll just give. Point. I'll give you the stat, Brian. The the, the yeah, defensive lineman that had the most snaps on their entire team last year was Robert Beal Jr., who's like what was like a sixth year senior last year. Yep. And he had four hundred eighty six. That's it. Then you had Nazir Stackhouse, 473, Michael Williams, 410. Those are the only three defensive linemen that played more than 400 snaps last year in 15 games for Georgia. 15 games. And and, and then you had, a, you know, Jalen Carter was 392. Uh, Trent Walther was 283. Warren Brinson was 272. Uh, you know, you, you just you didn't the have – bigger a, guys especially were yeah. under 300. When yeah. has Notre Dame been able to Barry do Barry Alexander was 169. Last year, he was only 169. Think about so, how talented he was. He averaged 10, 10 reps a game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no other school in the country is doing that. Notre yeah. Dame's leader in, in snaps last year was Isaiah Foskey with 563. That's a lot. So he had a, like 80 more snaps than Robert Beal in, in two less – actually three less games because he didn't play in the bowl game. He only played in 12 games last year for Notre Dame. Jason Adamiola last year only played in 12 games last year. Or Justin Adamiola played in 13. Justin Adamiola was number two on their team in, in snaps. He had 485. Howard Cross had 477. So your number three defensive lineman, Howard Cross, in snaps last year had nine fewer snaps than the guy for Georgia who led their, their defensive line in snaps. And, they, and he did that. He needed two more games to do that because he did it in 15 games. Howard Cross did it in 13. Notre Dame last year, Brian, had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five defensive linemen last year in 13 games had over had over 400 snaps. Georgia last year had three in 15 games. That's it. And then That's the other the thing you look at, yeah, two of Georgia's guys that did that were edges. They only had one interior guy that had over 400 snaps. That was Nazir Stackhouse of 473. Notre Dame had, obviously – had had two and three if you want to count if you want to count Riley Mills late in the year ended up moving to three technique in the last few games so yeah the rotation is key you 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 relied way too much on your starters last year part of it is because your defense was on the field too much like make some stops get off the freaking field you know what I mean but you need to be able to have because as a coach you can say all you want Brian hey we're going to get this kind of game get that kind of game but at the end of the day when you're playing the best teams in your schedule if you don't trust those second tier guys to go in there and make plays, you're going to struggle. Do you know part of the reason Notre Dame's starters had to play so much in 2012 and why the defense wore down a little bit late in the year is because there was a big drop-off between Lewis Nix and Tony Springman and between Capron Lewis Moore and true freshman Sheldon Day and whoever was coming off the bench to replace Stephon to it. There's a big drop-off. I mean, you're putting like Chase Hounchel in the game and Tony Springman. You couldn't afford to take those guys off the field in big games. This year – the talent is too good for you have to rely on your starters for 45 to 50 snaps a game. It's just too good. If you're doing that, most likely you're not doing a good enough job developing those kids and, and getting them ready to play. 
to me. That that's how I and and again, this isn't a thing where you know what drove me nuts last year too. This is something they need to change. They would go into games and they would literally have the entire second team defensive line in the game. One thing I loved about what Clark Lee did is he would he would have his starters, and then after that, basically Jerry Tillery never hardly ever played again with Jonathan Bonner. He would play with Kurt Heinisch. And then John Bonner would be on the field with Myron Tungvaloa Mosa. So basically, on the on the on the inside, you always had a starter with a number two almost the entire game, because you were never going to put both of your backups on the field at the same time, or you would rarely do that. And I think there needs to be a smarter rotation strategy too. That's something that gets overlooked a lot, Brian. You can't just have a a a, a full wave of four backups on the field unless they're just flat out dudes. I mean, Georgia doesn't even do that very often. And they have the talent to get away What's with that something like you? that, right? <laughs> so I think that's another part is being smarter with how you use it. But at the end of the day, Brian, if you do your job as a coach, I'm actually not going to be as upset if you line up on a snap and you've got Gabriel Rubio, Jason Onye, Nana Osafa Mensa, and Josh Burnham or Junior Talamaka on the field together. I'd say, you know what? That, that's pretty good. That might be your starting defensive line <laughs> next year if these guys all go pro, you know? And so that's the thing is, but it's it's all about development, Brian, because Josh Burnham's got a chance to someday be a stud at Notre Dame. Junior Charlie Mock has a chance to be a very good player at Notre Dame someday. Gabriel Rubio, Jason Onye, Donovan Heinish, Tyson Ford. That I just, off the top of my head, named six guys. I didn't even talk about Nana, right? I mean, I didn't talk about Aiden Gobira. I, we haven't even talked about the freshmen. There's way too much God-given ability in this group and size and length in this group for it not to be a deep, effective group. And if they're not... I've got to be able to look at the guy at the top of the board and say, you're not getting the job done. But if it is, if they do play well, then you've got to look at Al Washington and say, hey, we got to get this recruiting stuff figured out. But you know what, man? You coached the mess out of this defensive line this year. That's why this another reason why this is just a huge year for Al Washington. I can I can work with you on getting the recruiting going if you're getting the kids that were getting coached up. I can work with that. And that's going to be big for him. On top of it being big for the entire the entire defense. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Well, if you do well on the field, like let's, I have no idea what Ohio State's quarterback situation is going to shake out to be, but it's not going to be CJ. That I do know. Notre Dame goes out and gets four sacks against Ohio State and wins 31-27 in a great game. Do you think that they could make a phone call to some kid that's committed to Georgia or Florida or wherever? and try and flip them. Right. It's a hell of a lot easier after right. you beat Ohio state and you've right. earned it. Look, right. I, I live down here in Florida where kids 
the only thing they talk about is going to the NFL. Right. The degree thing is a bonus. That's that's nice. But most of the kids down here in particular, they don't even know what state Notre Dame is in anyway. But if you're going to get elite D linemen consistently, over half the battle is what have you done to put guys in the NFL? Right. And produce. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's the thing. And produce. You know, I mean, like, I'm really numbers. rooting for a certain guy that's now a part of the Saints. Like, yes. I'm gonna, <laughs> it's important well, but for Notre Dame. It's, you got to do one You got to do one of two things, ideally two things. Ideally, you're producing and you're putting guys in the NFL. Like, if you actually look at Georgia's defensive linemen, they don't produce. Like, in college, like, their numbers aren't great. Jordan Jordan Davis, two years ago, had, like, six tackles for loss and three sacks. But you know what the you know what the number that the kids care about is is like twelve. Well, what twelve or thirteen, right? Well, that's where yeah, that's where he got drafted, draft, right? If he took a double team on every play. Yeah. NFL teams love that, right? Jalen Carter last year. You're talking about you know Riley Mills. Jalen Carter's numbers last year were basically identical to Riley Mills's numbers were. <laughs> what Riley Mills' numbers were last year. I mean, you know Riley Mills had six tackles for loss and three and a half sacks in thirteen games. Uh, Jalen Carter and and Riley had. 24 tackles Jalen Carter had 32 tackles um, and he had six tackles seven tackles for loss and three sacks so Riley Mills actually had more sacks than Jalen Carter did last year but you know what they care about was it like number five number six right nine Jalen like might have went number two or three if it, if it wasn't yeah stupid. so that that's yeah. you've so you've got to do one of two things you've got to produce at a high level where kids can say hey look yeah this guy didn't get picked high because he's not an NFL talent you are what could we do with you in this defense? You've got to have that at some point in time. That's how you convince the elite talents to come, and then you can develop them in NFL players. But it's going to be key. And, and the thing that I that, that could be really big for Notre Dame is if they are able to throw waves at people, that's going to be huge. Because now you can say, hey, look, I know I've, we got four starters coming back last year, but did you see last year we had nine kids that played over 200 snaps last year? We had over nine kids that had at least four tackles or six or seven, eight kids that had at least four tackles for loss last year, that kind of thing. That's going to be key, and it's going to, it's going to be a lot on that. And here's the thing too, Brian, it, it, what, what speaks to the depth. We haven't even talked about Bubakar Traore and Brennan Vernon and Armel Mulcom and Devin Some Houston. Some of those guys are going to try and push their way Notre Dame, Brian, Notre Dame has had playoff teams where these kids would come in and be immediate two deep guys, immediately two deep guys. Now they're going to be fourth team, give or take. Right. I do have a bold prediction. Here's my Uh-oh, bold prediction. Here we go. Here we go. One of those guys this year, one of those freshmen, I don't know who it's going to be, Bubakar, Armel, Vernon, not sure which guy, Devin Houston, not sure which guy. One of those guys is going to force his way onto the field this year. That's usually what it's happens. Happen. But it's you going to happen. Somebody and I think it's going to be at the big end that. position. It, that's where I think it's going to happen. Cause that's the one position I look at and say, you know, Nana does some nice things as a rotation guy, but you want Nana to be like at 15 snaps a game. That's where you want Nana to be. Well, you can't then have Baptiste playing 45, 50 snaps a game. Nah, he'd be dead by the time we got, you to need to get that third guy. So between Vernon, Traore, B- Bubakar and Armel Mukum, that's kind of where I'm leaning right now because the like, Devin Houston could be really good this year and still have a hard time getting on the field. When you look at what's in front of them. One of those big ends to me, Brennan Vernon, Bubakar Traore, or Armel Mukum is going to come in this year and force their way into the field and be a part of a key part of the rotation. That's a prediction I'm going to have this year. And when that happens, all of a sudden your talent level goes up. And that's going to be a big part of it because there, there is a lot of ability. So let's kind of start to come to a, a close here, Brian, as we wrap this part up. 
Let's talk about the three things that right now you view as the biggest strengths of this defensive line heading into the season. Not so much what we – it doesn't have to be so much of what we know, but what you confidently say going into the season, this is what I expect to be a strength of this defensive line. Either uh, it could be something big picture or it could be specifically about a player. So what would be your three things, Brian, when you look at this noted defensive line that you're most confident in heading into the 2023 season? Number one is something that it, it's kind of ironic, but it's it's just true. All the guys that are projected to start, this is their final go-round probably. I believe a certain defensive tackle now has another year of eligibility because of the 220 season. But They actually all, all have it. They all have yeah, it because it of COVID. The only guy that yeah, doesn't yeah. have a year left is Javante Jean-Baptiste. I'm not saying they're all going to take it, but they right. at least have that COVID year, which is a little bit weird and wonky, but yes. Yeah. I think because of they would all like to leave, not, nothing against Notre Dame, but sure. when they, you got to put the pedal to the metal, man. Yeah. There's nothing like emotion and motivation, especially when you're playing Ohio State, Southern Cal, Clemson, those and yeah. NC State to a certain degree too. I mean, yeah. you play that as a because it's a road game. Be, yeah. yeah, I think. Yeah, I'm going to be on national TV here. Let's let's go out and make this happen. Trying to impress Scott. That's one thing for sure that I'm really looking at. If they don't come out, and because you brought this up, and it's 100%, there were games in moments like Clemson, the D-line played pretty good most of the game. But I think Clemson's O-line is not anywhere near what some of their other positions And it was young. Are. It was also yeah. young. They had a true freshman starter. Them up, yeah. Especially in the middle last year. Because they're running. I mean, look, Will Shipp- Shipley's a dude. There were times where he just had zero room to go. Notre Dame just ate him up. But they didn't do that consistently against Southern Cal, obviously. Part of that's the snap thing we were just talking about. So I need to see the motivation and the depth. The other thing that I really want to see is what you just mentioned about the younger guys. My pick is Tyson Ford to eventually be basically a co-number, for lack of a better term. I think him and Anya and those guys are all interchangeable, and I'm hoping that Ford can be a part of the speed package. Like if they go three-man line, he could be your nose. That on third and eleven, I don't. If you run the ball and get seven yards, I don't care. That he just one gaps, goes up the field, and makes the center miserable. That kind of thing. One of those guys has to do it. And if they have that, they can again. My number is forty. That's the bottom end number that I want to see on sacks. Yeah. And then finally, I know it's your guy, but a certain uh, Mr. Burnham, he needs yeah. to take a step forward. Yeah. I'm not saying he's getting twelve sacks this year. No. If he just five gives me six. Something Brian, like if that, he I just looks thrilled. like what Isaiah Foskey did in 2020, four and a half sacks, be a good rotation player, show promise. Yes. Because that was the thing is when when like, we, we saw this at Notre Dame when they were really rolling in the late 2010s. When you lost Julian Aquar, you're like, ah, it's fine. They got Dalen Hayes. You lost Clid Kareem. Oh, great player. We're fine. They got Isaac Ogandiji. You lose Dalen Hayes. You're like, ah, they're fine. They've got Isaiah Foskey. But it stopped at the big end position at that point in time, it stopped where you had that next in line guy. Right. And so to me, it's, it's, he's got to be that guy that if he comes out this year and if burn, if Patejo does go pro F this year, which I would say if, if Riley Mills and Josh Burn and, and Jordan Patel go pro after this year for the right reasons, it's a good year that what we talked about at the beginning is yeah. it came true. They were both very, 100%. very good. Then you're like, they're fine because you know, but with, with Burnham and, and Tui Alamaka next year, they're going to be great there. They're going to be fine. You know, and, and we're talking about, you know, a great one-two punch where he doesn't have to have nine sacks. Foskey only had four and a half sacks that year. But you just knew, you saw, and you're like, well, he's going to be fine. Because, 
know, he got that he got his feet wet. He went out there, did what he needed to do. He was a redshirt freshman basically that year in 2020. And you're saying he's he's going to be good in 2021. And he was going into year three. So to your point, yes, Josh Burnham needs to be that guy. And and the thing about him, though, Brian, is because he didn't play defensive end, that's why it's so important that Al Golden or Al Washington and and Coach uh, Dorico, Derrico, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, and whoever else is working with the D-line, whether it's Nick Sebastian, whoever else, they need to take that kid under their wing because he doesn't have the background playing that position. You need to teach him how to play that position. Because here's the thing, God gave him all the tools he needs to be great. Work ethic, length, athleticism, all of that. He already has that. You just got to teach him how to play the game. And if you don't, that's on you. Because it's not like he's not coachable and he doesn't want it. He wants it. It's just whether or not you're going to put the work in to make him good. So my mine are, Brian, I really feel good. I, I, I feel better than I should about the defensive tackle rotation this year. I, I do. I, and, I think and it'll be good. I, I think I, you know, will it be great? That I don't know, but I think it's going to be pretty good. And honestly, because the the one guy that we they lost last year to me, underwhelmed. I mean, the the one guy you lost in the rotation underwhelmed last year. You're basically replacing him with Riley Mills. Everybody else, I mean, the the biggest loss they had from the interior last year is Chris Smith. I mean, that that's their biggest miss from miss from last year. I think Jason Onye can handle that. I think Gabriel Rubio can take some of that. I think with Donovan Heinish a year older, with Riley Mills, boy, I, I, man, I feel good about the interior. Now, I, is it going to be great? That remains to be seen, but it's at least going to be good. The other one that I, the other strength I have, I really think the Viper position is going to be really good this year. You know, Batelho doesn't have to be a fifty. He doesn't have to be Foskey. I could see a scenario this year, Brian, where Notre Dame gets more production from the viper position than it did last year although nobody comes close to having uh the numbers individually that isaiah foskey had i could see that i mean because you basically had let's see uh, i'm talking about the guys that kind of primarily played that you had 20 and a half with those two 23 24 and then you had 24 and a half he had 24 and a half tackles for loss last year at the Viper position. If you count Justin Adamiola, that number's a bit padded because some of his production came as like a, a rotation kind of guy. And then you had, see, 15 and a half, 18 and a half, 18 and a half sacks. I could easily see the Viper position this year as a unit outproducing that. I could, especially the tackles for loss numbers. And nobody has more than nine because you're going to have three guys doing it, you know I mean? So you're, you're going to, especially from a sack standpoint. So I, I, I'm very confident there as long as there's good health and good coaching. The talent is certainly there. The third one, Ryan, is I do feel that they have the depth to survive the season. Now, how good is it going to be? That's what, that's a question. There's not a position where you look at and say, boy, if that guy goes down, they're screwed. I mean, if Riley Mills goes down, God forbid, I don't want it to happen, but you're, putting in Gabriel Rubio you're not exactly putting in a guy that can't play you know and and so you don't want it to happen but they can they can survive if there's if there's a loss uh, on the defensive line this year now Brian let's look at the biggest concerns what are the biggest question marks we have I think the first one for me is you got to prove it I think the pass 
rush potential for this team potential is greater than it was last year. And this is no do, no disrespect to Justin Adamiola because he was a very high motor kid. But the fact of the matter is the kids replacing him in the depth chart this year are far superior athletically, far superior. The question is, Brian, and, and I use this phrase a lot, are we going to be talking about potential of this unit or production by the time we get to Ohio State? That's the question mark. So I'm confident in the talent, but the question is, can they produce and also can they produce in the big moments? Because I don't care what your talent level is, being money isn't about being talented. Being money is about having something here and something here that other people don't have. John Elway wasn't the most clutch quarterback that I've ever seen in my life. And Joe Montana wasn't a great clutch quarterback because of their physical gifts. They were clutch because they also had this and this. That's that's kind of what I'm referring to. That I don't know. And to me, that's my biggest question mark with this defensive line is, is that right there. Well, I'm hoping that the one concern that I have with Cross doesn't, doesn't happen in, in an individual game and it costs him. He's still 270-ish, whatever his weight is. If a team, like remember last year against Clemson, Notre Dame ran duo about 50 freaking times. It was it was ungodly boring, but they averaged five yards of carry doing it, so whatever. Can Notre Dame hold up against a team that gets in a niche? Have, like Ohio State's got, I love their yeah. running back. The one, not, not Travion, the other kid. He just runs. And Williams. Him. Well, that's what they did to Notre Dame in the fourth quarter, Brian. They yep. said, we've got a lead now. We're just going to run the ball, and there's not a dang thing you can do about it. Notre Dame's and, nose guard play yeah. is lacking size. That's my concern. So that's the other reason that I want Ford and all those other guys to rotate in. That's a lot of size. Like Ford's somewhat big at 290. Mm-hmm. I mean, Notre Dame is massive up front on their yeah. D line now. Compared to what they've been, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Notre Dame, that, even in the early 90s, didn't have this much depth. No. Attack. They didn't. And, and, Brian, you say, well, size. Well, look at Georgia. It's a completely different defense. Yeah, Georgia Notre Dame is an pounders because they're playing a true team. Right. It's – size relative to the style of play that you have you don't see teams that play the attacking style that are throwing everybody they're throwing out now up the middle is 290 plus last year they had two guys in their rotation above 290 that's it this year you're probably going to have one guy that's under 290 and that's Howard Cross everybody else is going to be over 290 you Jason Adamiola is 10 pounds lighter than Riley Mills was and and probably going to be closer to 15 I mean, Chris Smith was really the only true big guy you had. Now, Gabriel Rubio's over 300 pounds. Jason Onye's over 290 pounds. Aiden Counter on is 320 pounds. Like, you're throwing some big boys in there now. And I think that's important. The other question mark that I have, too, Ryan or Brian, comes down to Al Washington. We, we're willing to give him a mulligan last year, but he still has to prove himself this season. He, he does. He has to prove himself. And so he does enter the season as a question mark. We're going to learn a lot about Coach Washington in 2023 because as we've said this entire show he is not working with a group of inferior players that he just has to figure out a way to get the most out of them and that's the thing about Mike Elson in 2018 Mike Elson did not take a bunch of average athletes and turn them into a great D-line he took dudes and turned them into dudes I mean that that's the that's what Jerry Tillery and Dalen Hayes and Julian Aguar and Adetokounmpo Ogundiji those are all NFL players Right, Notre Dame's third string Viper in 2018 has started games in the NFL. Third string guy, Jameer Jones. Right, there's NFL talent on this defensive line. Now, is there any 
Jalen Carters and no, I don't think there's that. I don't, I don't think that's there, at least not in the non-freshman class, but there's a bunch of NFL players like the 2018 D line. Cause who was the first round pick on that D line? Jerry Tillery was a first round pick. I didn't even think he was their best player. I thought he was overdrafted to be completely honest with you. They had a bunch of day two and day three, a bunch of day two and day three guys. And that worked for them. And I think that's the approach this team needs to have. The question is, do they have a coach that can get the most out of the majority of their players? That's to me still a question mark for this defense heading into 2023. If they can get some consistency and I didn't know until you said it, that there might be a little concern about how the back part of the depth chart was getting coached. That, that is a big no, no to me. You recruit everybody to get coached. Part of the, the reason I'm I'm giving him a mulligan on that is because he had to deal so much with the other crap from the veteran players, and because it was I've year heard one, some of that too, yeah, right, and it was year one. So sometimes guys don't buy in, and that's a problem. Right. Bro. And it's then you've got to spend all like the way it usually works is I got this veteran player, and I can just, I mean, I'll coach him up and work with him, but he kind of he helps me. Like the one of the great things about when Harry Heastan's offensive line was rolling. When Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey and Ronnie Stanley and Liam Eikenberg became seniors, and obviously that was after Coach, the last one was after Coach Eastan left, but honestly, those guys become almost like uh, GAs to a degree. You know, where where when you have Quentin Nelson, he's taking that young guard behind him, and he with Aaron Banks, and he's like, "Hey, man, let, you know, coach you up and work with you on this, and leave these le- lessons with you." And so that takes some of that burden off of you, and it makes it easier for you to coach the entire depth chart, right? But when you're having to play you know, nanny to your starters and your fifth year guys, it's like, what are you guys doing here? You know what I mean? And so I think that's why I'm willing to give coach Washington a a, a pass. And a lot of this is stuff that I learned in the off season. And so it kind of makes you look back a little bit with a different perspective on, on the other, some of the other things you heard, but that's not an issue anymore. Riley, Ryan, you know, Brian, you know, Riley Mills, you've met Riley Mills. You've talked to Riley Mills. That's a kid that's in it. For Notre Dame. Oh, 100%. Howard Cross is in it for Notre Dame, right? I mean, Javante Jean-Baptiste is someone who had a pre-established relationship with Al Washington at Ohio State. There's going to be buy-in. If if Javante Jean-Baptiste did not know and respect Al Washington, he wouldn't have transferred to Notre Dame. Yeah, he's the least of my concerns. Right. Nano Osafa Mensa is going to be bought in. He's he he's become a leader. He won't. He's not. I don't think going to be a starter. Won't be an impact player. But he's a leader. You know the Donovan Heinish is going to be bought in. You know Gabe Rubio's bought in. You know Jason Onye's bought. So the buy-in is going to be greater this year. So I think that's why I'm willing to give Coach Washington a pass for a mulligan for year one because I think some of that stuff is just like, what, what what can you do there? You move on. That those guys are gone. Get these kids ready to play. But it's not, but you now got to show. So, I'm, yes, I'm willing to give you a mulligan, but that doesn't mean I'm going to assume that you're g- great at it. You now have to prove that to me. And I still think that's my biggest question mark. It's almost like he's getting a do over in a sense because this will be a more normal situation with extra depth, too. Because mm-hmm. your point about those freshmen, I remember going to the game, I forget who they played, but the year Anthony Weaver came to Notre Dame, I wasn't told anything. I mean, I knew members on the staff. Madison was at Notre Dame at the time, but Anthony Weaver started. And while I liked Anthony Weaver and I'd seen his film and all that, I'm like, great that he's starting. But then again, no, it's not. Because that yeah. just like there's zero chance a freshman is going to start this year for Notre Dame. 
Right. Weaver was like a national top 50. Unless top he's a star. Weaver. Unless yeah. he's an absolute star. Weaver Man. would have been like ranked between 50 and 100. He was good. Right. But he had to start because Notre Dame stunk up front. Notre Dame is not in that spot. So Al Washington, he may not have a Lamborghini. He's got right. something. There's no Keon Keeley. Yeah, right. but he's got a super group of kids. Yeah. And a lot of athletes like Burnham in particular could be Keon Keeley. Correct. He just, I mean, he's, he just changed position. So it's a wide open and we have no idea. But there's not a lot of guys like Tyson Ford sitting third string in college football either. Bingo. Think about this. 6'5", 290. And until about a year ago, he was a freaking weak side end. Right. Then he just got big. And they, okay, well, you're going to play inside now. And so there are a lot of teams guys. in the top 25 that would love to have a Bubakar Traore, an Armel Mookum, a Think Brendan about, Vernon, like, Iowa, Devin Houston. Yeah. If Traore went to Iowa and they can coach, their staff is phenomenal. If he went there, he would be in there too deep by the end of fall camp. So would Vernon. I guarantee. Yeah. yeah. So like Vernon fits Iowa to a T in terms yeah. of personality. But, yeah, Notre Dame is in a situation where when they – you know, at the end of games when you're up by 20, 30 points – Used to be, it always pissed me off because Notre Dame would go up, but then they put in backups, and the score would not be indicative because the last two drives for Navy or Michigan State or whoever it was, they'd score touchdowns, and instead of winning by four scores, it's two. That guy in the national media who hates Notre Dame anyway right. seems well. Notre Dame wins thirty-five to twenty-one instead of 30, thirty-five to seven. Is like you know they they crush this team. Uh, 3521, whatever. You know what I mean? That matters. Notre Dame's not putting in a guy like look, Vernon's gonna play as hard. I don't know if he'll be any good this year. Right. Let's say he's 14. The guy in front of him with three minutes to go in the game better be ready to play, yeah. or he will plant him on his rear end. Yeah. Notre Dame has never had fourth team guys like that ever. Right. So they should be able to finish games strong. The reps should come down from the starters. At the end of the year, games 10 through 12, if we're looking at these numbers, and I assume you're getting up PFF, wherever you're getting them from, if they're anywhere near what they were last year for some guys, then I'm going to get real worried. Yes. Because something has gone – unless there's a ton Something of has gone wrong or you're or you're just not willing to coach. And this is where – and, Brian, lean up just a little bit because uh, I'm having trouble. You're, you're not picking up – we're not picking you up as well on the mic when you lean back. But this is why the article I wrote the other day with Coach Freeman is important because he said we're going to play younger kids and we have a plan to make it happen. Great. I, I love the words. Love the Let's words. Let's see it. Let's see I it. I need to see it. I need to see it. And this 100%. is one of those positions where it's important because, as you said, a defensive lineman that's got heavy legs in the fourth quarter is not oh. getting to the quarterback in today's game. Just not happening. No, no especially happening. with all the quick game they do. Exactly. A few reps that you get, a five-step drop, man, you got you to gotta maximize because it's less than right. three seconds on most throws, so it is what it is. Right. So let's have a some bold, couple bold predictions here each, Brian. These are meant to just be kind of fun. It's not. It's not saying okay, I guarantee that so and so is going to have twenty five sacks. Just have a little bit of fun of something we think could happen this year that you know may not may not be a normal prediction. I gave one earlier. I think one of the freshmen is going to play a lot of football this year and be a pretty good player. It'd be a little bit of a breakout That's for fair. Notre Dame. Uh, I think if I had to pick, it would it would be you know like I said one of the big ends, Bubakar Traore, Armel Mukum, or Brennan Vernon. That's my first bold prediction, Brian. What is one bold prediction that you have for the 2023 Notre Dame defensive line? Forty or more sacks 
is the bottom end, and I think they'll get 45. So would you say that you're looking at 30-plus for the D-line this year or 40 for the D-line this year? What, I think 38 as a team last year, 29 as a defensive line. I think there'll be at least 35 from the mm-hmm. D-line, to be honest with you, because and I'm counting the Viper just for wreck. Bortello should be at eight, like at least – because they have so much depth. He's going to be with guys everybody has to be accounted for. Should be at least 15 with him and Riley Mills alone. I mean, that's that's if it's least. not, then my prediction is going into the crapper. Yeah. So, <laughs> so look, you've got to, your best guys have to produce the biggest stats. It's not a it's not a news flash. You know, the Yankees need Aaron Judge to hit home runs. Yes. So I'm gonna go 45 sacks. And I'll also just for the fun, I'll say Tyson Ford gets at least four. He's a third okay. team guy. That's why I say it. When when you have third team guys do that, again, it a it's a testament to either getting some coaching and all that stuff. We've got depth. Like he mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter against Tennessee State, and I assume he'll be playing then. If he's not, I'm concerned. That should be a game where somebody at quarterback for whoever it is for that poor guy, I don't know who this kid is. He's probably not any good. And he gets smacked underneath the chops. When you have third team guys like that, you can be a top 10 team compete for the playoff Georgia and some of the teams that make it Clemson, et cetera, even that two eighteen Clemson team. Yeah. All the stars were really good. I'm not, there's not, I mean, they were insanely good, but they still had guys off the bench mm-hmm. that would have started for pretty much any other school in the ACC. They waited their turn and just yep. rotated in. And that's why they were so freaking good. It was like, are you kidding me? There was no, no pass rush play that you could take off. Notre Dame, I'm not saying they got one of the high-end guys like Clemson does, but maybe they end up – Mills could be a 10-sack guy. Right. It wouldn't shock me. Patello could be a 10-sack guy. It wouldn't shock me. Well, but well Brian, unit, look at the look at the bowl game good. last year. You had Riley inside at three technique. You had Patello starting at Viper, and those two kids combined for three tackles for loss, and was it uh, a three-and-a-half tackles for loss and three sacks, right? Riley had a tackle. And that's against the next team. It wasn't like they were going against chumps. Right. He had one and a half tackles for loss and a sack. Jordan Patel had two tackles for loss, both of them sacks. Uh, Gabriel Rubio had a tackle for loss last year. I mean, so, and and that kind of leads into one of my bold predictions. And, uh, and that is that Notre Dame's defensive line in 23 will outproduce the Clemson defensive line in 22. So last year, Clemson's defensive line produced 56 and a half tackles for loss and 26 sacks. The sacks should be easy. Notre Dame had more sacks than Clemson did last year. It's the run game production. So my prediction basically comes down to I think Notre Dame is going to have 25 more tackles. For, actually, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to up that. That's not bold enough. That's not really bold. Notre Dame is going to have 30 more tackles for loss than they do sacks this year on the defensive line. That's going to be my prediction. So basically I'm, 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 produ- I'm, I'm predicting my bold prediction is the run game production for the defensive line. It's going to be a lot better this year. It's easy. Like the sacks to me, that can be misleading. You could have a lot of sacks because you had like when the game, when you're up 27 and they just, you could just pin your ears back, yeah. and back up three sacks in the fourth quarter. The number to me that really defines that this is a big time defensive line is the gap between your number of sacks and your run stops grows. And I've talked about this for a couple of years now. And Notre Dame had way too close of a gap the last couple of years from their defensive line in, in the number of sacks and, and total tackles for loss, which meant not as much run game production. I think that changes this year because of the style of play they're going to have and then also the specific players they're going to have. They're going to be bigger, more athletic, 
at the three technique. They're going to be way more twitchy and elusive linebackery types at Viper. They may not be as good of players individually as, as, as Isaiah Foskey, but if, if, if Isaiah Foskey came back and, and I was designing the defense the way that I wanted to design the defense, I'm moving him over to the field end and I'm still going to have the same Vipers this year that I had. That's what I would do. And so to me, they're just more pure Viper type of players, which to me leads to more disruptions, Brian. That's that's basically what it boils down to. So uh, that's my bold prediction. They're going to have 30 more tackles for loss than they have sacks from the defensive line position. So those are my two. Sorry, are you saying in your estimation, just from a sheer volume standpoint, I'm guessing you're going to figure they're going to get at least as many sacks this year, give or take, within a couple, one way or the other. Upper 60s? I could time? actually, Brian, see. Maybe even 70? I actually could see the defensive line sack numbers going down a little bit this yeah. year. Yeah, because and, and it's it goes back to something you said earlier in the show. If the defensive line it like I felt the defensive line last year got some I don't say garbage sacks, but like late game sacks against bad team sacks that they did you know, that you're like that it wasn't really a money sack, right? Uh, where where I think where I look at this team. Again, six sacks against Cal, four against UNLV, four against Syracuse, four against Boston College, and one against Ohio State. One Not good enough. State. Not good you enough. Know, right. <laughs> so w- I could see a scenario where the t- teams have to spend – and this goes back to your point. Teams have to spend so much energy trying to stop the defensive line that J.D. Bertrand gets five sacks. That the that's Will linebacker gets four or five sacks. So Jack Kaiser gets three. So, so that's so I could see the sack numbers being around where they were, you know, 25 to 30. But then the run stop tackles for loss numbers take a big jump. Because again, what it leads to is more run game tackle production means more second and longs, more third and longs, which then leads to more third down blitz packages where it's actually Jack Kaiser that gets the sack or Mayor Slewafau or Nolan Ziegler or Jalen Sneed. Like I could see Jalen Sneed being one of the three or four most productive pass rushers this year because of using his speed off the edge. And you're trying to deal with Javante Jean-Baptiste and Riley Mills and Jordan Patelho and Josh Burnham. And all of a sudden this little six foot one and a half, 225 pounds, you know, explosive kid off the edge is coming at you. Nolan Ziegler shooting the B gap or, or Jack Kaiser's coming off the edge, who's also a pretty decent blitzer. J.D. Bertrand's coming up the middle. So I actually think that if the D-line is as good as I hope it can be, you're actually going to see the sack numbers not make a big jump for the defensive line. It's going to be the linebackers. Because we talked about how the defensive line only had 29 or had 29 sacks last year, which is more than Ohio State, was more than Michigan, more than Clemson, the, the, more than their defensive lines had. Well, here's the counter argument to that. You didn't have a whole lot of – sack production from the second and third levels and when you look at the numbers last year they had two and a half sacks from the from the secondary Tariq Bracey had a sack Xavier Watts had a sack and Ramona Henderson had a half a sack so you know my math isn't the greatest here Brian that means the linebackers only had six and a half sacks last year I think that's going to shoot way up this year if the run game production is better from the defensive line so that's kind of where I think the the sack numbers for the – now, to your point, Brian, your total team sack numbers, I'm with you on. I just think because if the defensive line is as good as I think it's going to be from a disruption standpoint, that's actually going to lead to more sack production. So, like, here's another example. 
Riley Mills comes screaming up the middle, blows up the left guard, just dominates him. Quarterback has to step up and slide, and J.D. Bertrand's looping around the side. There you go. That's what I'm referring to. So more I, of that I could type see, of stuff. I could yeah. see Bertrand ending up being the – he's going to play the most snaps, I would assume, at linebacker. He got six sacks, and these guys like, you know, Baptiste and Batello, et cetera, they're all just playing good. They don't have to be dominant. Where you literally and legitimately on every play have to account for all four of the linemen, then, I mean, it's a nightmare when somebody's as instinctive. Like Bertrand's really instinctive, not like kind of. Mm-hmm. Like he is really instinctive. He's going to find himself a couple of covered sacks, you know, some, you know. Brian, Things I said played. this in the show the other day. If if JD played the same number of snaps in 22 that he played in 21, but kept his production per snap basis that he had in 22, he's an 11 and a half tackle for loss guy. And that's with oh, him absolutely. not doing a whole lot in the pass game. So uh, to, to, to the other point, too, I want to answer a question. Somebody actually had this scoob asked is, uh, if a sack counts as a tackle for loss. Yes. So the way to figure out in college football, if you get a sack, it counts as a tackle for loss. So if a guy has two sacks and two tackles for loss in the stat sheet, that means both of his tackles for loss were sacks. So the so when you look at Notre Dame last year, they had the defensive line had 46 and a half tackles for loss, 29 sacks. That means 29 of those tackles for loss were sacks, 17 and a half of those tackles for loss were run stops behind the line. Not run stuffs, but run stops because a run stuff is – I tackle the guy at the line of scrimmage. That's not a tackle for loss. No, those are important too, uh, right? So a stuff is anything from zero beyond. But I'm referring to t- specifically to tackles for loss, the disruptives, the negatives, creating more negatives. And so, where, like I said, if you know, Notre Dame was 17 and a half. Ohio State last year was 24 and a half was the number between their tackles for loss and sacks. That means they had 24 sacks, 24 and a half tackles for loss, which equals four, or, or excuse me, 24 and a half uh, run game stops for losses, which means 48 and a half tackles for loss. So that's how that comes down to it. It's a combination basically of of sacks and negatives in the run game is what it boils down to. So that's how those are factored in. And those can be, I mean, I say run game, but it could also be a, a screen that you blow up behind the line. That also ta- counts as a tackle for loss. I think what, I think Tariq Bracey had, um, Tariq Bracey actually had a couple, a few tackles for loss last year. He had six, Tariq Bracey had six tackles for loss last year in a sack at least half of those tackles for loss were not him blitzing off the edge. I think, I think four, at least four of them, four or five of like them screen plays were him blowing up a screen. Correct. So he was very he, fundamental. Yeah. He'd been coached up and he earned it. He's a very him. underrated, very underrated player last year. Very underrated player. So that's kind of where we're at for the defensive line, Brian. Going to be a fun year to follow it. Folks, we're going to go to the mailbag next, so don't leave. But before we do, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. If you like what Brian Smith brought to the table today, it's why you need to subscribe to the CFB Nation channel because I believe next week we decided, Brian, next week you're going to launch your first round of shows. That uh, is we're correct. Going cover, we're going to have on CFB Nation, so Southeastern Recruiting. Brian's going to start breaking down because the 2025 class is loaded nationally, Brian. That's it's really loaded in the southeast, and so each day, I think I think we're going to do offense this week, Brian, and then defense that the next proper. week. That we're going to kind of split it up into position groups, and he's just going to kind of give you some names to know from a a high school recruiting standpoint. So again, CFB Nation is not a Notre Dame channel; it is our college football channel. That doesn't mean we won't talk about kids that are interested in There's Notre Dame and all Notre that, Dame but it's going there is a ton, <laughs> including a running back in the twenty five class oh, that Notre is- Dame is very high on. I happen to know um, him. 
<laughs> yes, yes, bro. You had them on your show recently. So <laughs> those shows are now going to start being on the CFB Nation channel. So you That's definitely right. want to subscribe to that. I'm actually going to put a link in that as well. Also, if you are someone who listens to uh, the Lucky Lefty podcast with Sean Davis and Malik Zaire, that show also, starting on July 1st, is going to be exclusively found on CFB Nation. I'm putting it, the link in the the box, the, the uh, chat below, so you can check on that. Do us a favor. Go there and subscribe, right? We greatly appreciate if you guys would do that for us. And I'm going to see how many of you – I'm actually going to go look at the numbers here real quick, Brian, and see how many people did that yesterday because I, I have a way to track what our numbers were. So I'm going to see how many of you actually listened to me uh, <laughs> yesterday and did that. So uh, let's see here. See what our numbers are up to for, for uh, there. So we had about nine. So not enough of you. Go to the CFB Nation uh, podcast app right now and and subscribe to that because Brian's going to be on there. Brian and I, you and I, we've talked about this. We will do some shows together too, previewing college football. I'll have, be on some shows with Vince there. We're going to have a lot of fun, man. We're going to do a lot of crossover stuff, but you're only going to get those shows on the CFB Nation podcast. So check that out. And it's part of the Irish Breakdown family. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you.